0: Here's what we're gonna do, I'm gonna talk to you from the subject, uh, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. And if you have ever felt like uh, you're not talented enough, uh, you're not gifted enough, you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not courageous enough, you're not smart enough, you're not studied enough, nothing more awkward than in a conversation where you're faking the combo you ever done that I do that so much at my age at 43 with a little bit of experience under my belt where people are like well you're that preacher guy right and they go into like deep combos with me and I'm just faking it till I make it you know they're like you know Ecclesiastes is an interesting study and I'm like oh it is it is it is yes what's your take on it what's yours no I asked first what's yours you know I can't even find Ecclesiastes on a good day so um, we've all been there, right? We all feel like we, 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 we don't measure up. And um, like if you've never felt out of your depth or you never felt like you measured up, you probably need to move out of your parents' place and get out a little bit. Um, that was a joke, but didn't land very well, so we'll just keep on moving. <laughs> um, uh, the point is, in this life, we're all going to find ourselves in that space or that place where you just feel like you, you you just don't you just don't measure up. Uh, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you feel like I I can't keep this up. Like I am not who my spouse thinks I am. Maybe it's in a job. Maybe it's like I I actually can't keep up this performance. Maybe you're in a performance driven job, where you're constantly competing with your coworkers and you're trying to keep the numbers and the results up, and you're thinking. I don't know how much longer I can do this, but then your spouse is going on and on, or your roommate or your family about how successful you are and how great you are, and, you're, and your mom is bragging on you in the holidays, and the dirty little secret is you, you, you wanna quit because it's just too much pressure. And you're, you, you feel like a fake. You, you feel like you don't measure up. Chelsea and I have a podcast, I don't wanna brag. It's massive. It's not. But um, we, we talk about it. You know, we did an episode on the imposter syndrome. And at first I was like, oh, imposter syndrome. I don't feel like an imposter. And then someone described it to me. I was like, oh, that's just a fancy title for feeling like you're not very smart and not very good and not very talented. And I like think we all feel like imposters at times. You know, if you're here right now in this environment and you're like, oh, man, this is like a, this guy's like got a jacket on, like he's a pastor. Oh, no, this is like a proper church thing. Someone told me it was like, a, like, a, like an event. I don't belong here. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not sharp enough. Um, welcome, welcome to a safe space and a welcoming room. All of us, if we're really honest in these moments, feel oftentimes like we don't measure up. I was telling there's a a prayer team that's been praying for me since I was 13 years old. Isn't that wild? They started, they were were a team that prayed for my parents when they were pastors, and then I was the pastor's son. So they prayed for the pastor's son to like know Jesus and not backslide. Eh, Most of the prayers were answered. Um, but they used to pray for my basketball games, whatever. It's the same group of people, no lie. They're all most of them are in their 80s and 70s now, and uh, so they're they're somewhere in the northwest in in Seattle. And I text them about tonight, and I told them just I just I feel sad today. It's a lot going on in the church world, a lot of pain, a lot of loss. Um, and I just told him, I just, I just don't really feel like preaching. I just don't know if I can keep this up. And one of the prayer team members, God bless him, he thought he would encourage me. He's like, "Now, what would your dad do? Be like your dad." And I was like, "My dad's dead. I don't really, I don't. What? Like, I don't want to. I'm not my dad. What does that mean? You know?" Um, so no matter, even when people try to encourage you, sometimes it backfires, and you're like, "Oh." My dad was really great. Oh, shoot. He was much better than me. Oh, my dad would never feel sad. You know, then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I feel worse from my prayer team. Um, so whatever it is, my point is I'm trying to level the field tonight and just realize that we're all actually all in this together. So I'm, I'm titling this talk, I'm Not Good Enough. Um, Speaking of my dad, uh, my cousin's name is Wendell. He's named after my dad. My dad's name was Wendell, Wendell Smith. He pastored uh, the church that uh, many of you are a part of, uh, even here in New York City. It was called the City Church. And uh, my dad was a wonderful man. So my uh my aunt has a son, and they name him Wendell after my dad. I love him Wendell Jake McKinney is his name, and he comes over the day we're we're really close and he and he comes over and I got this new multi poo uh teacup Maltipoo dog and if you haven't heard me talk about the multi-poo, you haven't listened to the sermon the last year because in the last year he's made it into. Oh, every single sermon I've preached, actually, to be exact, because I, oh, I'm obsessed, so I'm a bad guy now, okay? I love this little dog, okay? He is, he's my soulmate. He's the one I've been looking for. I mean, you know, I get real weird. All the dog people are like, yes. I used to be the person who's like, that is weird. Dogs are not humans, and humans are what matter. Now I know dogs matter way more than humans. <laughs> it's a big philosophy shift for me, um, no, but I, I love the dog. I just, I don't know what to do with him. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a pretty good dad, debatable, always, of course. But like you're looking at three citizens here of the United States of America who, um, well, they don't pay taxes at all, but they're, they're, they're contributors. These are good humans, right? If you look at my dog, he's a brat. He's spoiled. He barks. He, he, he pees and feels no shame. I want him to feel a little ashamed. No shame. Um, this is, you, you, you say if I'm lying. We came home um, the other day, and we left the dog in the living room because we heard that's what, like, dog people do. You train him, and then you just, like, leave him at home and, like, trust him. He had gotten up on our kitchen table, peed on top of our kitchen table so that when we came home, we would see a puddle of urine, so that the message would be clear. I run this home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm in charge. And I was like, all right, you got a point. Anyways, my cousin Wendell comes over and he makes this noise. He makes this noise with a knife, like Kh-h-h-h-h. And my dog turns into like a, a well-trained machine. And I'm watching, he goes And I'm like, what are you, bro, what are you doing? Like, making the kissing sound. And honestly, my little Louie, I named him after Louie Giglio. Maybe you've heard of him. And Christian joke. Tough crowd. Okay. So I didn't really mean to. But then Shelly Giglio, like, hit me on Instagram. She's like, nice name. And I was like, Louie. Oh, I knew I knew someone named Louie. That's awkward. Okay. So so he makes this noise. And my little Louie turns around. And he's like, and he comes. If, if you know my dog, if you, like, reached out, he's always like, eh touch me please right and he's like well he comes running over and he like wags his tail and he's sitting there for Wendell and Wendell's like hey buddy how are you? he's like t- communicating with him and I'm like what, what are you doing what are you doing and he's like bro you just got to like know how to treat dogs and I'm like where did you go to school who taught you how to do this he's like <coughs> by the way 100% I've tried it and that dog just looks at me like what are you doing <laughs> it's the same sound, but when Wendell does it, the dog behaves. No word of a lie. Ran right over, sat down, and just, like, at attention. And I'm like, Wendell, what are you doing? He's like, bro, you got to learn how to be in charge. I love this new concept with dogs. People are like, dogs know who's in charge. <laughs> no, they don't, because I am in charge, but this dog doesn't know it. This dog thinks he's in charge. Life is so wild. Because at 43 years old, when you finally feel like you're getting your kids raised, and they're starting to take shape, the shape of contributing adults in society, you have this whimsical idea to get a dog to remind you, you don't measure up. And here, like in the dog community, I'm the guy. I'm the guy in the dog community. At the dog park, everyone's like, here he comes. Here he comes, the guy who knows nothing. Like, run free, Louie! Just release him, you know? And my little dog, by the way, he thinks he's a big dog, it's a problem, whatever. Um, he, is, he is neutered, though, because I watched enough of Price is Right growing up. Anyone? <laughs> Tough, deep joke, but it's there. <laughs> anyway, okay. Whatever it is, it could be your dog. It could be clothes. It could be money. It could be politics. It could be, like, if you don't watch Fox or CNN, whichever team you're on, I don't want to be on either team anymore. But like, like if you don't like watch CNN, like you can't go to dinner with some of your friends. If you don't watch Fox, you can't go to dinner with like. You got to do like research now. Political conversations. I'm out now. I'm out. I just don't. I don't even know. I'm so disenfranchised. People are like you're a pastor. You're a leader. You can't be. But I am but I am, okay? I'm going to vote for Condoleezza Rice for the rest of my life, okay? That's where I'm at. Or Samuel L. Jackson. That's where I'm at, okay? Like, or you know what? No, Denzel Washington for president forever. Forever! I love Denzel so much, and if you know him, let me know how we can meet. All right. But whatever it is in life, you're going to run into that time, that space, and that moment where you just don't feel like you're enough. It's amazing. Someone from the media a few years back, they told me, they said, you know, Judah, that media has um, a play, a play that they run. And it's the same play that media has been running for years. They build up a person so at the right time they can tear them down because that's what sells. The rise to stardom, we love to read. And then the demise of stardom, we love to read. They build up. To tear down isn't it an amazing culture we live in and to be honest, that cycle affects us more than we're willing to admit. That cycle affects whatever world you live in, whatever whether it's the athletic field, whether it's the science field, whether it's the space field wouldn't it be cool to be someone I, I work in I work kind of in the on the shuttle, the space shuttle that'd be a cool way to answer someone at a party anyways, but the point is, wherever field you're in, there's always like that cycle, tear up or build up to tear down. There's always somebody in the media, somebody in the news who's faltered, failed. We found out they're bad, they're mean, they're evil, they're selfish, and we all go, oh, 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 so bad. And yet we oftentimes fail to go, wait a minute, what's happening to us right now? We keep keep turning each each other into caricatures of who we really are. Does that make sense? Caricatures, cartoon figures of human beings. So I want to take you to, I think, an incredibly potent passage in the Bible that might very well speak to exactly where we are in 2022. Now, I want to prepare you for the next 20 minutes or so, and then I'll be done and get out of your way, and then we can go, man, I love New York City. By the way, reservations at 10, 1030, 11, everyone's like, yeah, absolutely, not a problem. I'm like, where have you been my whole life, New York City, you know, like, you doing dinner tonight? Yeah, after the show, do dinner about 1130. Amazing! This is what I always dreamed of. LA's a to- La's a facade. Anyone who's been to LA, you know what I'm talking about because it pretends like it's the place that's always hanging. No, I can show you the. there's a handful of places you can go to late at night in LA. New York, every city, every street in your city, it's like, oh, there's a cafe, there's a place. I love your city. Did I already mention that? We already said that, okay. The point is this. I wanna take you to a potent passage and then we'll go to our 11 p.m. dinner reservations. And I wanna warn you ahead of time We're not probably going to cross all the T's you want to cross tonight, and we're probably not going to dot all the I's you want to dot tonight. But I think we'll be honest. In John chapter 5, there is a Jewish feast going on in Jerusalem. A lot of people are there. Typically, sojourners, travelers would come into Jerusalem for the six or more festivals, feasts, um, that are... Uh, outlined in the, in the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament. John chapter 5 was one of those feasts, one of those Jewish Hebrew festivals. So there's a lot of people there. John chapter 5 says Jesus came upon a pool called Bethesda. Bethesda is a house of grace or a place or space of loving kindness. And it was here, the story is told over the ages that a supernatural phenomenon would happen in this little itty-bitty body of water, almost like a pond, like a little pond or pool, where an angel, is the story, would touch the water and stir it. And when the water moved, if you had an ailment of any kind, whoever got to the water first would quite literally completely recover from their ailment. We're talking blindness, deafness, Uh, paralysis, skin disease, it was extraordinary. It was really quite a place, stories were told. Now, by the time we get to John chapter five and Jesus walks into the scene, we're told that this pool of Bethesda, and maybe the attendance is a bit high because of the annual feast, and maybe people who were traveling from, I don't know, a three-hour car ride and six-hour train ride, maybe they brought relatives who were sick or not well Or born lame, or born blind to the miraculous pool of Bethesda. Now, the pool sounds soothing, healing, and and rejuvenating, but it was quite literally the opposite. It was chaos, true chaos. And here's why because as long as the pool wasn't healing anyone, everyone was cool. But the moment somebody saw, heard, mentioned, said, the water's moving, you can imagine the chaos as hundreds of sick folks tried to be the first to the water. It quite literally was manic. It was mayhem. It was not a healthy place to be. It's not where you wanted to leave your kids to hang at the park or the nice pool to have a wonderful afternoon and bring a a sack lunch. No, this was a place where people were going to claw and crawl and scream and cry and compete Because you can imagine, if you could win the race, you could be healed in a way you never thought possible. That was the goal. The promise was come to this pool. And if you're fast enough, and if you're strong enough, or maybe you're not fast enough or strong enough, but you got connections with people who are fast and strong and observant, who can push other people out of the way so that you can get to the pool first, your wildest dreams will come true. Forgive me for saying it like this, but it sounds a lot like the American dream, if we're honest. I mean, we are living in one of the great cities of the world. I am very proud of all the nations that come to the United States of America. I'm very proud. I believe this is a beautiful country, and what makes it so beautiful is it's her diversity. I love it. I love it, and yet if you talk to different Americans, you'll discover that many people will immigrate to this country believing that here is where the pool of Bethesda is, where all your wildest dreams will come true, only to discover that it's only a few people that reach that pool in their lifetime who actually realize their dreams. Most of us are left dreaming, hoping, wishing, watching on TV the great award seasons and events where all of our great athletes and actors and artists receive the highest of honors, and we all dream maybe someday that could be me. It's interesting, isn't it? Because oftentimes we read the Bible and we think, I wonder what Jesus would say today. Well, I think he'd say today what he said then, because the human condition hasn't changed all that much, has it? Has it? I love dreams like the rest of them. I'm into dreams, man. I'm a dreamer. I'm a visionary. I'm always thinking up ideas, really good ones, but mostly bad ones, but they're still ideas, and I love them, and they're exciting, and they're energizing and exhilarating, but what are we going to do with this chaotic life? What are we going to do with this unjust existence? What are we going to do with, what are we going to do with the inequity that isn't hard to see, is it? It's all around us. It's all around us. The haves and the haves nots. The ins and those who are out. The cool and the not so cool. Isn't it funny? Life is still the high school lunchroom, isn't it? It hadn't changed much. The cool kids, the in-crowd crowd now if you're like me and most of you are amazing you're probably like judah we're not into we don't have to be cool i know and that's what makes you cool by the way that's what makes you awesome but we still are perpetuating that same thing aren't we what would jesus do if he walked the streets of new york city what what would jesus say and and what would jesus do i i don't think it's too much of a mystery he shows up at the pool, and he finds a man that has been there for 38 years. Why, why is that important? Well, I, I honestly believe because <clears throat> he's been there a long time, but 8 and 3 is 11. 11 is an important number in the Bible. It's actually the number of chaos. And I think it's kind of indicative that this man is a part of the chaos. His life is chaos. His life doesn't have a lot of rhyme or, or reason. When was he left by this pool? Who left him there? Who told him, you can get better here? How? Well, you got to beat everybody here. But if you beat everybody here, you can get better here. Okay, sounds like the American dream. If you try harder, if you work hard, and listen, I'm not here to disparage education Hard work. Please please hear me. Hard work was before sin entered the equation. Hard work's an honor. And I like to think that I work at my craft, and it's an honor to do so, but we keep perpetuating after every sporting event that our great heroes are great because they work harder. Ladies and gentlemen, I could work harder than LeBron. I'm never going to be LeBron. It was never in the cards to be 6'9", 550 pounds and be able to jump out of a gymnasium. Like, it's not in here, right? So, like, this dream isn't all the way truthful, is it? But somebody dropped this boy off who became a man and told him here in this environment, if you learn over the years how to get better, do better, understand, make connections, eventually you'll get your dream. Jesus shows up in a land where dreams die. He shows up in this competitive environment. He shows up in the midst of all these talking points that we keep handing to the next generation. Just stay here, work hard, focus on the pool, watch for the movement, beat everybody there. If you get in there, then you'll be healed. Then you'll be like everybody else. Then you'll be rich and famous. Then you'll be wealthy. Then you'll be exclusive. Then you'll be elite. Then you'll be the man. Then you'll be able to be first class. Then you'll be able to be. What would Jesus say? I'll tell you what he said. He, uh, he finds the man who's been there, 38, the man of chaos. And he says, um, listen to Jesus. Um, do, Do you want to be made well? I'm sorry, what did you just ask? So do you want to be made well? Now, much has been made of this question by Jesus. And some of you have been in church long enough to hear sermons where preachers say things like this. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I just take issue with it. They're like, because God wants to know if you, maybe you like your sickness and you get attention from your sickness. Come on, some of you know, some days you fake being sick to get attention from your friends. I don't know if that's the best way to treat this. I don't think Jesus is going, I want to know if you want it. That sounds more like the American dream. Whoever really wants it. Hey, man, you guys came all the way back. You won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do? I'm going to Disneyland. Oh, that's amazing. How would you guys do it? We wanted it. We came together as a team. You know, every team came together as a team. They're paid to come together as a team. Like, we gave it 110%. Impossible. You can't give it 110%. You can only give it 100. And I doubt you did that. You know, like, but, but that's what we perpetuate. Do you want to be made well? Do you really want it, church? If you want it, shout amen. You, amen. We want it. We want you, God. If you really want him, he'll come. You got to want him. That, that doesn't sound like good news. That sounds like American news. That sounds like Fox and CNN. How'd you do it? How'd you become so successful? I wanted it more than I wanted air. And we're all like, that's the key. (gasps) What are you doing? I'm trying to feel like what it's like to not have air because I want it more than air. Like, what are we doing to ourselves? I don't think Jesus was like, I want to know, do you want it? Or do you like being sick? Now I'm from Texas. (laughs) I think Jesus wanted what came next. Because what did he say? He said what we all say. Yeah, I mean, of course I do. Of course I want the dream. Of course I do. I don't have connections. I wasn't born in the right family. Jesus says, what do you want? And I think he asked the question because he knew the response. And it was so honest. He's saying, I'm not connected. I got left here, and I'm not connected. <laughs> the system we're a part of is broken. We know that, right? All of them are. There's no perfect country. I, I, I mean this with all respect, but there are no Christian countries. Countries can't get saved. Only people can. Systems don't accept Jesus. People do. So, I love this country and I hope that everyone in it knows Jesus, but there's no, the system is broken. There are people in this very room, you just, that's right, someone asked me one time, what's the best thing you did in ministry? And I was like, being born Wendell Smith's son. He was a man of integrity, he preached the scriptures. I wanted to be like him, and that's how I became a preacher. Now, if you didn't have Wendell Smith as your dad, it's not fair. It's not fair. The system, I I was positioned very close to the pool. Does that make sense? And some people aren't. And we're in like these cultural debates right now of whether or not our system is (laughs) flow. Racism, injustice, inequity, marginalization. Absolutely. Absolutely. Does Jesus have something to say? Absolutely. But I wanna remind you, our hope is not in the systems made by men, but it's in the saving power organized by God. That's our answer. That's our hope. So, so listen, he says, do you wanna be made well? He says, I have no one to help me. He, what, he's, what he's telling us is the people that win have connections, especially if you're lame, which this man couldn't move himself. So he's saying, I don't have anybody to help me. What is he saying to Jesus? What's he asking Jesus? What's he asking? Please don't miss this. 2022. He's saying, Could you help me win th- this system? Could you help me win the race? Could you help me get ahead? Could you help me get to the pool? Think about it for a moment. Can you help me get to the water? Jesus must be thinking, oh, young man, I am the water. What you crave, I don't do. I am. But you are hoping that Bethesda will serve up the dream somebody told you when they dropped you here. But I'm here to tell you, I'm the dream. I'm the. And I don't know if Americans are going to want to hear this preacher much longer because I'm here to tell you that I love my country, and I vote, and I've already told you who I vote for. So Some of you are like, your vote doesn't count. Oh, yes, it does. When I vote for Denzel, it counts. Don't you shame me. I mean it when I vote for him, right? But my hope is not in this nation. Am I the only one that wake up some mornings and think, this pool we're all groping for, I don't like it. I'm not the only person that got some really wealthy friends. And the more money they make, the less happy they get. Now, if you're like me, I'm like, well, let me try and see if I get less happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, for real, like, let me I think I could keep my joy. In fact, I might even be able to you know crank it up a little bit <laughs> you know like this feels nice yeah. but 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 they told me when i got here that if i could be first if i could be fast enough if i could be smart enough if i could be first enough that i could get ahead and i could live the dream but i'm 43 enough now to know that if I'm going to be a preacher, not a success coach, if I'm going to be a preacher, not a football coach, if I'm going to be a preacher, not a science teacher, all of which I love and applaud. And if you are, you're heroic and you help shape my life. That's why I said those three people. I know some great success coaches. My football coach was amazing. And my science coach, uh, coach my science teacher was my favorite. His favorite verse in the Bible was, God helps those who help themselves. I never had the heart to tell him, it's not in the good book. Because he meant well. He was a sweet man. Super hairy. Super hairy. That's why I have chest hair today. I'm I'm serious. God has a sense of humor because I made fun of his chest hair all the time. And then God was like, (laughs) bye-bye. Got him. I was like, I I see you. I see you. I think... um, I think one of my favorite titles of Jesus is the desire of all nations. He's the desire of all nations. Let me make a couple observations about this chaotic scene in ancient Jerusalem because it's the same modern scene we're in today. The title of this talk is I'm not enough because you're not and neither am I are you enough for love are you enough for God are you yes 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 but I'm talking about for the pool talking about for the game down here talking about for the competition down here I don't know if you're enough I don't know if I am and if you ever had a day like I'm having today you feel like I'm so not enough I'm gonna quit before they fire me. I'm gonna quit before they find out I'm just as average as everybody else. Public service is an interesting thing these days. I signed up as a young man to be in public service. I didn't know it would come with intense scrutiny as the modern era and the technological age advance. I didn't know there'd be people online who'd try to find things to disqualify me. I thought I'd be the guy that like, like the science teacher that everybody liked. Hey God, I'm just here to encourage you. And here we are. Can you relate? I don't know if I can keep this up. I don't know if I'm smart enough, fast enough, good enough, godly enough. Can I do this? do you want to be made well? I don't have enough to be made well. (laughs) Jesus says, Jesus is wild. He doesn't talk like we do. He says, get up. I love Jesus because there's no transitionary statement. Do you know what I mean? He's like, I, I hear your story, man. I appreciate that, I see you. All right, all right, for real, for real, yeah. All right, perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, hey, um, I'm gonna tell you something and just do it and don't think, get up. He didn't do that, he goes, do you wanna be made well? And the man tells him his story, which is honest. Some people call it an excuse, I call it honest. It's the facts, I wasn't born right, didn't have the right family, the right friends, not enough money, so I didn't make it in this environment. I've been laying here having a pity party for 38 years. And Jesus says, see, a lot of what Jesus does in his three and a half year ministry is moments that are indicative of what he can do for the world. Does that make sense? So you have to understand in the the life and ministry of Jesus, and, and if you were God, you'd set it up this way too, you would take on the form of a man and then you would do certain gregarious acts that would be indicative of what you'd like to do for everyone. So this isn't a story about people who are paralyzed, although it can be. This is also a story about people who are paralyzed in life because they don't ever measure up. Or people who feel paralyzed emotionally because they started a career and that they can't keep up anymore. And they're starting to wonder, will I make it? And Jesus says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Every word he speaks is on purpose. Not one word is pointless. Every word has a reason and a and, and 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 a part to play that is significant. He he says he says get up now now if I was Jesus or, or if logic was in play here I would think to myself that Jesus would say I'm going to stir the water and I'm going to carry you to it so everyone will know that you're connected at the pool of Bethesda but I want to draw your attention to something about Jesus that will frustrate you and frustrate me and it does right now. That is that oftentimes God does not participate in our pools. He doesn't participate in the race. He didn't participate in the system. He just overrode it. He just overdid it. He just went way over the system and he said, I am. The healing, the dream, the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the freedom, the forgiveness you crave, I am. So he says, get up, as if the man hadn't thought of that before. Get up. Something happened to that man because at the mention of the man who created man, At the mention of his words, some power must have infused in his body. He must have felt some sort of jolt, some sort of hitch, some sort of moment that he got up and he picked up his old musty bed of 38 years and he went on his way, and that's all we get. And it's this emphatic statement made by Jesus that while you are busy groppling and groping for a pathetic pool, what you're craving is me the living water My son had a middle seat on the plane out here from 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 uh, Los Angeles You ever had a middle seat on a long flight and you're like oh no Oh, no no, 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 no. By the way, it don't matter how much money you have in the whole world. This is not a class system thing. This is the thing. Everybody's been in the middle seat, no matter who you are. I'm, I bet some really famous people, some really wealthy people. We've all had a middle seat on a plane in a long plane ride, and you literally are questioning, I don't I'm, 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 I'm going to pull the lever. I'm jumping out. I can't do it, right? But tell me when you land at your destination bear with me how quickly do you forget about that middle seat in fact if you're like me amanda you know you travel a lot that's why i said that you you get up if you're like me and i'm in a middle seat I'm deep somewhere in the plane, it's not a good seat, but when we get to the destination, am I the only one that walks through first class talking about, you guys spent more money, I don't know why, I save money and we all here. But the moment you get to where you're going, all bets are off on who sat where. Now, because I sat in the middle seat and I did it on miles and I got a free flight, now I'm the winner. But when you boarded that plane, If you're like me, you walk by the first class and you're like, Jesus, Lord, please, God, have I not served your kingdom, Lord? What am I doing, God? I'm going back to 27B. Life's a vapor, they say, Amanda. Life's vapor means smoke. You ever seen smoke rise? One minute it looks like a cougar. Next, it looks like an eagle. Next, it looks like a human and the smoke just... That's life. Takes on forms. So and the moment you think you see some form, you ever, you ever seen a cloud, the clouds of you like, oh, it looks like a, like a tweedy bird. That's crazy. And then somebody else look, look like a rhinoceros to me. You're like, well, that's because the wind is changing. It's that's life. Life's a vapor. And all we can think about is how God can improve our 27B. But I'm telling you, when we slip into eternity, you'll have no thought of the middle seat you held. But oh, how obsessed we are down here in this life. God, you could only set me free from 27B. God's saying, oh, son, you're going to be there before you know it in this distant memory of linear time and space. But how much we treat this life like it's forever. Here's the craziest thing about religion. This dude now is walking around the streets of Jerusalem during the festival season, so there's tons of people there. And the pastors of the churches see him. Hey! Hey, you! You so say what? You're that same joker been by that pool for 38 years, right? Yeah. This whole time you could walk? No, no. But I can now. And they said this, they said, it's the Sabbath. You can't tell me Jesus didn't do this on the Sabbath on purpose and purposely told the man, when you get up, the last thing this man wants to do is hold that dusty, dingy little mat. But he says, you pick that up because Jesus wanted the man to carry something on the Sabbath to send a message to the religious elite. Because he wanted the pastors to be frustrated they would rather keep up appearances and rules than care for the broken and the hurting. Tell me that's not relevant today. They said, who, 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 what are you doing carrying something on the Sabbath? Who told you? He said, man, listen, y'all can get mad at me if you want, I wouldn't even welcome in your church anyways. By the way, uh, uh, sick people weren't even welcome in church in those days. So this guy's got nothing to lose. It's not like he's like, oh, no, you're going to take my membership. You know, like, I've never been to your church, bro. You won't even let me into your conferences or your retreats or your advances or your encounter retreats. I'm not even even the recovery ones. I'm not allowed in. OK, so like I, I just listen, I I the guy told me to pick up my mat. And so I did. That's all I know. Jesus is enough. Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment of the law. What does the law say? The law says if you keep these rules, you keep a relationship with God. And there are people here watching or in the studio, and the statement I just made, whether you prefer it or like it, in a lot of ways describes how you're relating to God these days. If I keep the right rules, I keep a relationship with God. And Jesus told this formerly paralyzed man, I want you to break the rules. I'm going to heal you, which is a break, a breach of the rules I set. By the way, if you make the rules, you can break the rules. That's what I like about being the leader of my home. But anyways, <laughs> He said, carry the mat so everybody in the church can see you doing what you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath. Because sometimes we see rules more than we see broken, hurting people. We see religious rules we want to keep. (laughs) I'm going to keep breaking rules that I don't even think are good rules. People can't practice their faith at home, in their living room, in their pajamas. Yeah, they can't. You can't. When How are you going to disciple people? It's called the Holy Spirit. He's really good at it. He's God in spirit form. And guess where he is? In your heart, just like your Sunday school teacher told you. Remember when they said, Jesus, come into my heart? Jesus doesn't shrink down. Come into your heart. It's the Holy Spirit. Living inside of you, training you and teaching you and helping you. We're gonna keep breaking rules. Is man for the Sabbath or Sabbath for man? Jesus was making a statement. That's why Jesus said, If you desire to come after me, hear it, hear it, I'm done. Take up your cross and follow me. That taking up your cross is just like the taking up of this mat. We think taking up your cross is taking up moralism, or do-goodism, or legalism, or rule-keeping, or knowledge, or research, or study, that only followers that take up their cross. I'm here to tell you that take up your cross is a living, tangible testimony of the grace and goodness and kindness of God that was extended to you when you were weak and paralyzed and broken. And when you carry that cross, it's a reminder that I once was blind, I once was lost, but now i am found the cross. It's not my achievement. The cross is the great achievement of the Savior of the ages. The cross is where he said it's finished. The cross is where I glory in the accomplishment and work of Jesus, not my own. That's why Jesus said, if you want to walk with me, take up your bed and follow me. Hey, why are you carrying that old cross? This is where my hero died for me. On that same cross, do you remember? They were, they were he was hanging there and Jesus said, um, Father, just forgive them. They actually don't know what they're doing. And I know this is probably not why you drove nine hours for some preacher to tell you You don't know what you're doing, but you don't, and neither do I. I don't know what I'm doing to myself sometimes. I don't know what I'm doing to loved ones. I don't know what I'm doing in this life. There's so much chaos, and there's so much pain. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing to me, and they don't understand what they're doing to each other. I dream of a church red and yellow black brown and white all over the world 82 countries now we've got somebody in 82 countries that are practicing their faith with us 70% of Americans live within five minutes of someone practicing their faith with church home (laughs) I'm not doing this to fill buildings or sell worship albums. We're doing this for people who are so broken, willing to admit, I don't know what I'm doing, but the only true thing I know in the universe is the man who hung on the middle cross. And I'm in this place called the Pool of Bethesda and only the fast, super cool people seem to win. I don't know if that's ever gonna be me, but um. He walked in my direction. And he did for me what nobody could do for me. And he told me to get up, take my bed. And the last thing Jesus says to the man, he says, um, he says, uh, you need to stop sinning lest something worse come on you. Oh, how preachers have used this passage to scare people. It's not what it's for. That was Jesus saying, what Jesus wants from the man is stop sinning. You mean stop doing mean, bad things? I can't do that. How do I do that? It was just a way of Jesus saying, I've healed your body. But what I've come for ultimately is to save your soul. How do I stop sinning, sir? Where are you going? Follow me. Follow me. My friend told me today on FaceTime, he said, Judah, isn't God refining us? And I hated when he said that. Because that's painful. Follow me. Where are we going? Follow me. Am I going to be first in the pool? Follow me. Am I going to be rich and famous? Follow me. Are people going to think I'm important? Follow me. Am I gonna be a big deal? Follow me. Follow me. Um, I put before you the truest thing in the universe. And if I could promise you money, fame, and fortune, I probably wouldn't anymore. I used to say I would, but everyone I know that's famous and has a lot of money going through a lot of problems (laughs) isn't biggie from here mo money new york don't you dare not return a biggie quote to me this is run screaming from new york city if you're not going to tell me mo money Mo problems but i'm telling you tonight that same man Who walked over to the nameless man and the reason we're not given his name is because his name is you. You are him. You're not supposed to get caught up on some name. You're supposed to see yourself in him. I'm tired by this pool, man. I'm not the only one that looks at the streets of New York City and thought, what are we all doing? Like busy bees trying to make something of our life. All the haters, everyone has haters now? How did this happen prove everybody wrong or you could just stop with all that and just let the surest safest arms in the universe wrap around you and tell you i will never leave you and i will never forsake you never forsake you I um do have friends like I got friends I got friends who who um don't know Jesus yet but so they think that I have like a connection with God that they could never have one friend called me yesterday he said I know you're holy I needed to call a holy man and but I didn't want to burst his bubble so I was like yeah 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 I'm, you called the right guy you know like I, I'm like but he 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 thinks like I got like he's like hey tell the big guy tell the big guy I need this this and this And if you're like me, I got those friends, I don't want to burst their bubble yet and tell them, like, it doesn't really work. God's not like a vending machine. But because I love you, and I kind of want, I kind of like that you're asking me for prayer, I'm going to go ask God. And when I ask him, I'll be like, now, God, you know and I know that's not really how you work. But this one time, could you work like this? So that my friends could know that you're. But eventually, I'm going to get to a place with some of my friends and let them know that Jesus sometimes leaves you in 27B, and you ask him for an upgrade. It never comes. And you're like, the whole trip, God. somewhere in there, man, there's gotta be a moment where you're like, I must be in 27B for 27A and 27C and 27E I might even be here for row 26 even though I don't like them because they you know and then all of a sudden you get that sensation that Jesus is just as much with you in 27B than if you were in 1A and something inside of you goes then I'm happy here and you're just like God I just you are the most precious thing to me in the world. And then your day is gonna come. God's gonna come on the loudspeaker and he's gonna say, um, we're gonna be landing in 20 minutes if you need to use the laboratories, now would be a good time. Because in about five minutes, I'm gonna turn on the seatbelt sign and I'm gonna ask you to put your seat back, seat back in an upright locked position Buckle your seatbelts, and we'll land in a moment. And this life will be over. And you'll be transitioning from linear time and space into eternity. And it'll dawn on you. It didn't matter. It just mattered that there were people there with you that you loved. And that he was there. And um, that's the greatest gift I could give you, you know. And I promise you, I'm definitely the pastor that's like, I will freaking boycott 27B with you, and I will never let them put you in 27B again, right? I'm down. But I'm just telling you, if nothing changes for you at this pool, and um, either he's not enough or he is and i'm in love with him can i pray for you i don't know who i'm talking to over this broadcast or in the studio but come one and come all to the arms that never fail to the savior that never sleeps to the Father who always cares. He's wonderful. How wonderful is He? He's so proud of you, and you think it's because of what you did this week. Oh, no. He's proud of who you are. He's proud of your eyebrows. (laughs) He thinks your fingers are cute. He likes the sound of your voice. He loves you. And he's the prize, friends. He's the prize. That's it. He's the prize. Don't miss him. Don't let that pool be your prize. It's no prize at all. It's a fleeting, flattering finite, fickle game. Don't make the pool your prize. Make him your prize. He loves you. If you're here watching or here tonight in the studio, I I just want to pray for you. Um, I hope that you feel like your burden is lighter. Hope you feel like your vision's clearer. Hope you feel like hope is nearer. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and surely, surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And you'll know, you'll know. For God declares, I am a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here tonight in this studio, or you're watching right now, and you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, I'm going to invite you to do so got good news. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't learn it. You can't mentally ascend into it. You just receive it for the gift it is. Jesus prepared the gift. Brutalized, beaten, hung on a cross between two thieves. And on the third day, he got up from the grave to let everyone know all of his words were true and he's God. If you want to receive him as the superhero and savior that he is, in one moment of receptivity in response, you can be forgiven and saved forever. On the count of three, you know who you are, whether watching or in this studio in the middle of New York City. You know who you are. One, two, three, if that's you. Just lift up your hand, and I want to include you in that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else, you just lift up your hand, put it right back down. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. <laughs> and anyone watching, Jesus, I thank you that you save completely, utterly, and totally. You are the prize. You are the point. You are the focal point. We love you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.